Warning, the following audio transmission is based on theory and is intended for entertainment purposes only. It's Doomsday and its affiliates will not be held liable for anything your dumbass does. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody to It's Doomsday Podcast. Today is February 13th, 2022. Time is 1811 and joining me today is Al, aka Big Daddy Prep. What's up, Al? How are you, my friend, Justin? We've been away for a few days, but uh, hey, we're ready to go. I hope the listeners are ready for a really great show today. I hope so too. And once again, I want to apologize to the listeners. Um, like I said, we had an issue with the server. We had to wipe everything and bring it back. This is why we didn't record last week. And also, from what my understanding is, all the past episodes that are gone that didn't go back up, my understanding is you could still get those on CastBox, that they're still there. This is what I'm hearing. I don't know yet. I haven't tried it. But check out CastBox. Let us know. Hey, preppers. Do you want 10% off survival food? Go to www.readywise.com and use code DOOM10 at checkout for 10% off all your survival food needs. Again, that's code DOOM10 at checkout at readywise.com, D-O-O-M-10 for 10% off at readywise.com. I looked at CastBox and I I saw a couple, but I didn't check every one of them, Jester, but I did check a couple. They were there. Gotcha. Okay, so um, tonight's episode is the best firearms for the apocalypse yes sir yes sir and i like i've (laughs) this is an exciting episode for me but i've had my mind made up about what i think is best for a while um and anybody that listens to the show you know in the past you know that i've that i've gone back and forth a little bit but i think in my head i've got it figured out now like what are the best but, I mean, I, I'm ready to go. I'm all in for this episode. Just FYI, it's probably going to be a two-parter. Um, Al, if you want to take the lead on this, because I know you got show notes, I'm just going to kick back and enjoy my protein shake, you know. <laughs> okay. I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit you with a couple couple of facts as I researched them this week. And I'll keep my personal belief out till later on till we get discussing. But facts, as I, as I went through this week, I looked up the most popular, quote-unquote, caliber of firearm and i kind of cross-referenced a bunch of different sources so i'm not going to make just one source but this is pretty much the list i compiled of the five the five most popular the 22 lr long rifle was in the top five that's for sure the nine millimeter the 308 the 223 and the 12 gauge as far as apocalypse doomsday most favorite type because for the most part they all run the same 
preppers and apocalypse people like us compared to what's really being purchased in mass. Also, and you're probably going to disagree with some of this right here when it comes to popular brands, because I know you're a specific kind of brand kind of guy, but the most popular brands, this is by people reporting now, Smith & Wesson was 30.7% people reporting that that's the brand of basic firearm, we'll say pistol, that they were buying. Ruger was a 25.5% and Glock with 23.2%, which breaks my heart. And I know it makes you happy that Glock make the top three because my SIG didn't seem to fall into that very small <laughs> part of the category. And I'm not happy with people that reported on this crap. But anyway, we'll just go with that. But I will say that... What I did find with America's favorite pistol type and our brand is that at number five in popularity with the top five was the Glock G19. The SIG P938 took the fourth spot. Uh, in third was the Springfield XDS. Number two was the Luger right, Lightweight Compact. And then at number one was the Smith & Wesley M&P Shield. So those are the facts as reported by the Internet because I don't have my own company where I can just go out and basically, you know, ask, ask America what they like. But that's basically a list that I compiled from several different sources as far as most popular, popular brands, and then popular types that have been purchased in recent years. So with the facts being said there, give me what you think about it, because I know you're probably going to disagree with some of these uh, polls, as they say. Well, okay, I think anything we read on Glock is going to be a bit skewed. Um, there's two reasons why. The first reason is, is I don't think that they count law enforcement sales into individual sales. So you have a lot of law enforcement agencies out there that issue the Glocks as a sidearm. Um, yes. And they're not, I, I mean, yes, law enforcement agencies are a consumer, but they're not your average consumer. So that's going to keep sales up, but it's going to keep popularity down, right? Um right. Now, my personal opinion, as far as a sidearm for the apocalypse, I prefer Glock. Anybody that argues with me, I mean, I have a very simple counter argument. And the counter to it is this. With it being one of the most popular selling handgun brands out there, you know you're going to come across these things in the apocalypse. Yeah. A lot of these parts are interchangeable. The slides are interchangeable. The barrels are interchangeable. The magazines are interchangeable. So if you have a failure within your Glock, you're more likely going to find another Glock to repair yours than you are, say, something of having a off-model SIG or an off-model Smith & Wesson, right? It's just fact right. is you're going to find those parts to repair it because I could take a lot of the internals out of a Glock 17 9 mil and use them to repair a Glock 2240 cal, right? Yes. Um, and, and vice versa. I could take – if I have a Glock 17 – and I have a Glock 22, I could take the total slide and everything off and put it on the the uh, Glock 17's bottom end, and it's going to fire, and it's going to work. It's, it's going to be fine. Um, the only thing that changes a little bit with that are the gens. They have to be the same gens for everything to, to go right, um, but that's about it. So my personal opinion, 
absolutely get the Glock. I mean, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Get the Glock. Right, right. <laughs> um, and we all have our opinions on this. This, These were just the facts as they came by. Now, every single prepper, homesteader, gun carrier is going to have their personal favorite. And I found that guns are something that you can sit down and argue endlessly about. You know, people just can just sit down and argue the, the finer nuances till the end of the earth. But, you know, that's everyone's personal, you know, personal choices. So. Now, one thing about uh, choosing a caliber for a sidearm, though, um, even though it's not my favorite round, I have to recommend that if you're selecting a sidearm for the apocalypse, if you're if you're looking for that caliber for doomsday, I do recommend going with the nine millimeter. Um, yeah. The only reason, the only reason why, and this is the only reason, because it is one of the top selling handgun ammunition. So you're more likely to come across that in the apocalypse than you are, say, uh, you know, 40 S and W or 380 or, or another round. The nine mil is one of the most commons you're gonna you're gonna find. So it's good to stock the nine mil. It's good to have the nine mil sidearm. I agree. I agree totally. And ultimately about making your preparations when it comes to firearms and security during a grid down situation is you want to be able to use what is commonly found. But let me interject just one piece of, of, of my, my thought on this. Okay. I've always said that any firearm is better than no firearm. Having something to protect yourself with. So if the listener out there says, I don't have what they're talking about. I got to run out and get this. Sure, that's a great thing. But if you have something to protect yourself with, it's better than nothing. You can always work up to something else. But you want to be able to find common ammunition with what you have to use. And you want to be able to repair it. I mean, let's face it, guns break. It happens. Guns tear up. It just, it happens. You put enough rounds to them, they're going to give out. Being able to repair, like you said earlier, and then being able to find ammunition. One more point about that is this. I always say a firearm without ammunition is just a sexy hammer. That's it, okay? It's just a sexy hammer. Because if you have nothing to fire out of it, if you can't use the weapon, it's pretty useless. That's, that's my take on it. <laughs> I've I've never heard the term sexy hammer before, but I like it. And we're gonna put that on a t shirt. It's, it's a sexy hammer, yeah. If you have no ammunition for it. That's just that's what I've always thought. That's that's great. Uh yeah, that's awesome. Um yeah, so to go to go back to this uh caliber thing and, and selection of, of the sidearm you may go with. So there's one thing I want to throw out there that a lot of people are against. Um, and I'm ag- one of the main reasons I'm bringing this up is I actually I'm picking one of these up soon. A lot of people hate on the Keltec Sub 2000. Uh, the reasoning for hating on these Keltec Sub 2000s doesn't make a lot of sense. In my opinion, it's a foldable, collapsible rifle that accepts Glock magazines, or I think it's also available to where it uh, can take Smith and Wesson magazines as well. But the one I'm picking up is chambered in nine millimeter and it accepts Glock magazines, right? So something like this to pick up to kind of balance and go with your sidearm. The idea that I say I have 10 magazines for my Glock 17. Well, that also means I have 10 magazines for my sub 2000. 
say that I have a thousand rounds for my Glock 17 while I also have a thousand rounds for my sub 2000. So when you're picking and choosing and selecting, I'm not saying to go down that road where every single thing is universal, but it is kind of a good idea if you're in a limited area, if there's uh, limited rounds you can get, if the only thing you could find on your shelves is nine millimeter, obviously pick up things that can shoot nine millimeter, right? Um, but I digress. Let's, let's move away from that. Well, one of my thoughts as far as apocalypse firearms gesture is you want to be able to, to take what you might find on quote unquote, the battlefield of life and use that ammunition or use that firearm for your betterment. And knowing the, the rounds that, the U.S. and other countries use more prevalently is only going to help you and reinforce your survival in the future. So being able to pick up, in my mindset, I want to have something that I can use with almost any ammunition that I pick up. If I walk it along and I find someone that's no longer with us and they have nine millimeter ammunition i want to be able to use it two two three i want to be able to use it uh 7.62 by 39 i want to be able to use it but that also leads to having a whole lot of guns and you can't carry a whole lot of guns so being able to interchange things it's it's hugely important Absolutely. Um, so this is one of the reasons, and, and it's not, I don't want to go too far down this this road, but uh, we all see the pistols out there like the Taurus Judge uh, that shoot multiple calibers, right? Yep. I have a Smith & Wesson Governor that shoots two and a half inch 410, 45 ACP, and 45 long call. I didn't purchase this for a doomsday scenario. I purchased it for the idea of I have snakes and bear. Uh, where I live. So if there's rattlesnakes or if there's bear trying to attack me, this is a good universal gun to carry. Oh yeah. Whenever I started, whenever I started thinking ahead to the doomsday aspect, I was like, well, you know, 410 are great to have for small game and things like this. Um, And then if I come across somebody that's got a bunch of 45 ACP, I then have a weapon for it. You know, I then have something I could, I could utilize this for. So uh, guns like the Taurus Judge and the Smith & Wesson Governor or these, uh, I think one of them is the Raging Bull, having these things are not a bad thing to have in the event that you start coming across multiple ammunitions. And then there's you also have ones that, uh, I don't know what the names of these are um, off the top of my head, but there's a lot of rifle combos out there now that shoot uh, 22 LR and 410. They either have an interchangeable barrel or they have like an over-under barrel. I came across one the other day that the top barrel, I believe the top barrel was 410 and the bottom barrel was 22 LR. It was like an over-under setup. Yes. And I was thinking about I was thinking about buying it for my son, but then I, I picked it up and I was like, wow, this thing is way too heavy for my little boy. Like it's just, yep. it's, it's too much. So I ended up getting away from that. But there's a lot of things we're seeing out there now. Where we have you know intercha- guns that have interchangeable calibers or interchangeable barrels, and the same thing goes for the five five things that are chambered in five five six NATO. They could accept the two two three. Um, so just you know, food for thought when selecting these things. I I fully understand. We own a judge. Absolutely, I, I I'm with you on that. I tell you what. What? Okay. 
Let me see if I explain my mindset as far as guns that if, if I'm making a list of things that I want to have for a grid down and apocalypse situation, I kind of have a checklist in my head. Now, anything that you add to this is great. That's wonderful. I'm not, I'm not down on what anybody else's list is, but let me tell you what mine is. Okay. First of all, I want to have at least one pistol, whether it be an automatic revolver. It makes no difference. A sidearm is mandatory. Okay. You might have 18 of them. 18 of different calibers, styles, revolvers. All, it doesn't make any difference. But a mandatory one of those for a sidearm, okay? Number two, a shotgun. I, I have full, listen, uh, over two decades of working in the penitentiary system, I'm telling you right now, the rack of a shotgun makes people wet their britches. So having a shotgun for home defense or for a defensive position is key to me. Number three, is having what I call a battle rifle, which is your basic shit hits the fan. I got to protect myself rifle. Okay. I personally, personally myself, I prefer an AK platform. Some people prefer an AR platform, but whichever it may be, one of those needs to be on your list. I also believe for you need to have a small caliber, something for small games, small protection, whatever it may be. Let's face it. You're not going to go out. You can go out hunting all day long with your, your battle rifle to kill deer, hog, or whatever. But a 22 type platform is key for small game. And then also a long range rifle. And I'm talking about something that's a real AT&T, reach out and touch somebody, long distance rifle. I personally chose nine, um, excuse me, seven millimeter because I like a seven millimeter. I was comfortable shooting one. I was also comfortable shooting a kind of long range 223 like we used to use in the prison system, mid to long range. You know, we could, you know, shoot someone that was escaping from a long distance. But that's my preferences. That's basically on my list. Now, your list is probably different, and other people's might be too, but that fulfills my list. So, uh, you know, on this note, uh, for those of you guys out there that don't know, there's a system, and I don't know if anybody's interested in picking this up, but there's a system out there called Excalibur. And Excalibur is a system that works in smoothbore 12-gauge shotguns. It's a single-shot system. It's a sleeve system that goes into a break-open 12-gauge, okay? And what the sleeve system does is it changes the calibers you can shoot. So it goes from a 12-gauge to a 22LR, 38 Special, 357, 9mm, 45 ACP, 45 Long Colt, uh, 410 Shotgun, 223, 7.62x39, and 308. And I'm assuming that at this point, they've they've maybe upgraded these um and we're not getting paid by these guys i'm i'm just throwing that out there for you know if, if all you have is a 12 gauge and you're like what do i do if i stumble across all these different rounds the excalibur system is a good way to utilize what you may find in the field um absolutely so just just food for thought you know like i said we're not getting paid by these guys but our goal is to help you survive so this is a this is a great system to have if you have a break open 12 gauge um as far as I, I agree with you, Al, on on what guns to have for whatnot. I, I have two 12 gauges. I think those are absolutely ideal for a lot of situations. Um, although I do not like shotguns for close quarter combat. 
But for the apocalypse situation, being able to have a 12-gauge with slugs to take out big things like to take down big game or to stop an engine block on a vehicle, things like this, you know, that big heavy hitter idea, I, I like the 12-gauges for that. As far as battle rifle goes, hands down, I go with the AR-15 all day long. Um, I know I'm good with that thing. Close range, long range, I'm good. As far as having a long range rifle, I agree with you. There, there are going to be those times you're going to need to reach out and touch someone at a very far distance. Um, as far as caliber goes, I, I keep a really weird off caliber that not a lot of people have ever heard of. Um, my preferred long range caliber is the 270. I, I, I don't know why it's what I, it's what I've grown to like over the years. It's, it's one of my preferred rounds. It's not very common. Um, it's just, there's something significant about that round. And then I also like the idea of having a lot of 22 LRs. In my opinion, that is the best round to carry. And I have I know, three or four different 22 LRs. Um, I've got a couple pistols. I got a couple rifles, right? So right. if I need to do, if I need to do, Something like dispatch an animal that's in a trap. I've got the the pistols for that. If I need to do something a little further away, I've I have the rifles. So, you know, right. we'll we'll be good on that front. Right. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And and I this is my checklist. As you as you build out, if you have five shotguns or five twenty two, whatever it might be, these are the basics that I think that you really need. That's my opinion. Now I will say this much: it makes no difference what you have if you don't know your weapon, if you don't have ammunition, if you're not comfortable and have used your weapon and become comfortable with it, and if you don't know your weapon, you might end up not having your weapon for very long. So being able to be comfortable with your weapon and being able to use it effectively, whether it be dispatching an animal or protecting yourself from an intruder, whatever it might be, you're not going to be successful if you don't know your weapon. And that doesn't necessarily mean going to the range and putting 10,000 rounds to it. Yes, that's a great idea to be able to shoot your weapon, but also being comfortable with your weapon and knowing your weapon inside out. If it jams, what do I do? Uh, how much ammunition do I have? How, about, oh, how fast does, this, does, it, does it fire? Knowing these things ahead of time is only going to be an advantage to you in the near future or in a grid-down situation. I agree with you. And Al, the one thing we don't talk about a whole lot are firearms failures. Um, and I think that's something we should, we should touch on real quick. The more time you spend at the range, the more time you spend shooting, you're going to learn more about these failures. You're going to learn what stovepipes are. You're going to learn what squibs are. You're going to learn if you have a magazine failure. These are things that you're going to need to know. Right. Um, a lot of people don't know how to unjam a stovepipe. A lot of people don't know what it's like to get a squib. And, it, you know, certain things like a squib, you've basically just created a pipe bomb if you don't know how to identify that that's there. Okay. Absolutely. Now, you're talking doomsday apocalyptic scenario. You might be shooting reloaded ammo. Squibs are a lot more likely with uh, reloaded ammo than they are with factory ammunition. The only reason why is because there's more, there's a more likelihood for human error. So if somebody underloads the powder, you can get a squib. If maybe there's some moisture in there and it doesn't burn fast enough, you could, you could get a squib. And then your next shot could blow that barrel up in your face, right? 
I agree with you wholeheartedly. So you you could you couldn't stress this anymore by putting a red light on top of what you're saying right now. You're absolutely correct. So just you know, being able to identify some of these things, um, it's good to identify it now before it's that life threatening scenario. Okay, and trying to describe one of these squibs, the best thing I could tell you is if you're at the range and you hear a pop instead of a bang, you could have a squib. If you hear a pop and that handgun doesn't fully cycle or it stops halfway in cycling, you could have a squib. And that's at that point when you want to, you know, clear your firearm and then inspect it in the safest manner possible. Right. When I went to the Corrections Academy a long, many, 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 many moons ago, Jester, I had a firearms instructor that I didn't particularly care for as a person, but he was a great instructor. And he said, if you fire your weapon and your weapon does not fire, before you fire the next shot, you need to identify this. And I didn't understand what he was talking about until he would put a blank round in your revolver and have you go out and start firing. And when you hit that blank, it didn't go off. And if you went on to the next he would immediately hit you with a stick. Now, that sounds cruel. That sounds like, but you know what? When he did that, he only had to do it one time if you had any mental capacity at all. Because when you hit that first dead, nothing happened, and you stopped, opened your weapon up, and inspected it. You were good because you never forgot. But once he wrapped you with a stick one time, you would no longer do that. So it became second nature for me as I'm shooting, as I'm firing, I hear that fire. And when it when I fire and it doesn't, I stop. My hand comes off the trigger automatically because at that point, you're right. You have a, you have a pipe bomb. It will blow up in your face. And I don't know if we, we have, probably have a lot of experienced shooters to list us, but inexperienced shooters, you do not want this exploding in your face, I assure you. It is not a pretty sight. I have seen it happen, and it will hurt you at least. The least thing it will do is hurt you. Right, and just remember that, you know, in, in Doomsday, in the apocalypse, you're not going to be able to just rush to the emergency room if something happens. No, sir. No, sir. So just, just the fact that you can identify these things and you know what they are and you know how to deal with them before they become a danger or they become problematic is is gonna it's gonna make a world of difference in the apocalypse just knowing these little things and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to get a lot of you guys like al said a lot of you guys might be experienced shooters and this information may be redundant uh but for a lot of people out there that that are new to this it's not redundant so that's why we're stressing on it and the one thing i've picked up over the years with my firearms training is everything's redundant you're gonna get redundancy i don't care if you're the the 25 year marksman when you go out on that line you're treated like the guy that's on the line for the first time it's all redundant it's always going to be redundant right like i've said before to you jester i didn't care if it was the little housewife that got a job where it had where she had to carry a firearm or whether it was an experienced shooter that had shot for 40 years it made no difference to me when you went to the range you were all the same and a lot of those bad habits that people had came with them and it was my job as the instructor to break them of those habits and build good habits but 
when it comes to ammunition, if you want your ammunition to be effective, there's certain things you need to do as far as ammo longevity. Now, doing a little research this last week, I, it reinforced what I said. You can indefinitely store ammunition correctly. Ammunition doesn't have a use-by date on or anything like that. And there's really two categories of ammunition. That's hunting and defense ammunition. And understanding the difference between the two. You want to have defense ammunition for yourself and then, you know, regular hunting ammunition. But understand, hunting ammunition becomes defense ammunition when you don't have defense ammunition. Hey, preppers, do you want 10% off survival food? Go to www.readywise.com and use code DOOM10 at checkout for 10% off all your survival food needs. Again, that's code DOOM10 at checkout at readywise.com, D-O-O-M-10 for 10% off at readywise.com. Exactly. And, you know, so here's... <laughs> so I personally stock a lot of range ammunition for Doomsday, right? Yeah. Um, I don't go out and I don't spend all the money on you know, the hollow points or the hydroshocks or the critical defense ammunition, like my stockpiles are just jacketed rounds. They're nothing special. Right, right. They are, they are target ammunition. At the end of the day, I don't care if I, if I shoot someone with a hydroshock or with a regular range round, they're going to go down period. Right. It, it's going to happen. Um, when it comes to certain long range calibers, uh, I like to buy things that I'm sighted in for. So I have a specific round that I run through my 270, and that's the only thing I'll buy in stock for that, right? Um, when it comes to when it comes to my AR-15, I try. Now I try. I can't say I always do this, but I try to only buy 5.56 NATO and only a particular grain, just because once you're comfortable with that grain, once you're comfortable with that round, you're going to be more efficient with it. A lot of guys don't realize when when you're talking long range. Changing things like the the bullet type, the grain is going to change the effectiveness at long range. Okay, um, if you're sighted in for that certain grain and you go lower, you're going to find out that that rifle's hitting a different spot on the target. So, but when it comes to handgun ammo, it's it's a pretty universal thing. Um, if you're if you're comfortable shooting a hydroshock out of a nine mil at 15 yards and, and you're hitting good and you're you're doing a bunch of kill shots and you're getting good center target shots if you switch to a range round it's going to be about the same it's not going to be much different i agree so, totally a lot of people hate on the uh a lot of people hate on the winchester white box rounds <laughs> but that is one of the that is one of the most rounds i stock because it's so cheap to stock absolutely Jester, it's a proven fact that it, how you train, I hear people talk about, well, when I train, I do this, but for real life, I do this. Your training is going to be your real life when the pressure comes on. The way you train every single time you fire your weapon and go to the range is what you're going to do when the pressure comes on. So people have this way of they think that they're going to be, you know, uh, they're going to be like uh, some Wild West outlaw, just bing, 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 doing all this stuff. But when they go to the range, they don't have good practices when they go there. Um, 
I can attest for the fact being in situations in the past that involved firearms, myself, whether it be in the prison system or in private use, the way you train with the weapons that you have or your lack of training will show when the pressure comes on. You're not suddenly going to become uh, 007 with that weapon if you don't train properly. Now, I'll I'll tell you what. Um, I couldn't agree with that more. I know <laughs> when I am not at the range, when I am here in an uncontrolled environment, I'm... I'm out here like a Billy badass running around doing a bunch of dumb shit. Right. Um, me and my buddies are out here shooting Tannerite. We're out here dumping 30 round mags. We're just, we're being goofballs. Right. When you're at the shooting range, it's, it's a way more controlled environment. I was lucky enough to where I got some decent, like good tactical firearms training um, throughout the years. So I got to do a lot more cooler shit than just, you know, stand at the line and wait till you hear bang. You know, right. I got to do some pretty cool stuff and I've got the competition shoot, which that's a lot of fun. Competition shooting is very fun. Um, just for our guys out there, if you're looking for a way to hone skills and you're looking for good training for doomsday, believe it or not, competition shooting is a really good thing to do because it's keeping you under pressure, right? It's competitive. You're under pressure. So you're operating under pressure. But you're in an environment that you have to remain safe because there's so many other people around. You have to follow all the rules. So it's bringing multiple thought processes together. You've got the pressure, the safety side. People are watching you. You have to follow instruction. There's a lot going on there. So if you can find any competition shooting in your area and go do it, not only is it a lot of fun, but it's also great training. Right, right. Jester. I didn't do a lot of competition shooting. I'm not going to lie. I did a lot of range shooting and went, and later on in my career, I became a firearms instructor and I took a lot of people to the range and it's some of the best times of my life I spent on the range, but I'm going to tell you exactly when I, when I learned how serious real life was, I used to be on a SWAT CRT type team years and years ago when I was in the prison system in another state where I live now. And we were in an actual competition, like a, a certain team-type competition at another unit. And one of the guys that was with me, he had an equipment failure where his strap basically broke, 12-gauge shotgun, fell into the ground, and become packed with some sand, some debris, some whatever it might be, muddy sand. And my first reaction was to clear that by thumping it because it was a 12-gauge, thumping it and getting out of there. And even though he didn't appreciate the time, after it was over with, the competition was over with, my friend that was the leader of the team said, you know, if he hadn't done that, it would blow up in your face. He didn't like the fact I thumped his shotgun, but I seen it full of sand at the time and I knew what was going to happen because eventually we were getting to shoot part of the competition and these are things that immediately when you see them you know oh no we can't shoot that be a familiarity with firearms period will teach you things that happen 
that's what I'm saying about being comfortable and and going out there and learning your weapon, learning and and observing your weapon. Your weapon is not always perfect. You need to check your weapon every time you you use it, every time you put it away. That only comes with actual hands on it. You can't buy a firearm, put it up on the shelf and say, okay, I'm covered for the apocalypse. It doesn't work like that, folks. There's money and time have to be invested in being proficient with any firearm. And you'll find once you get proficient in one firearm, it's easier to become proficient in another one. But having respect for firearms is, is the key. I mean, there's a thousand things you can train someone on, and eventually you'll revert back to them in a pressure situation. So a lot of people, um, I guess a lot of people don't take into consideration how important the training is and how Al's mentioned, and you can't just put this up on the shelf and forget about it and think that it's just going to be there for doomsday. Doing little things. I, I have a buddy, uh, he was a Marine, and he told me, he's like, one of the best things you could do is just sit there and dry fire that thing all day long. Get familiar with that trigger pull. Target target alignment, like sit down, look down the sights, get familiar with that, pull the trigger. Do that repeatedly till it becomes muscle memory. Um, after that, get familiar with reloading magazines. Take empty mags, load one, drop one, load one, drop one. Get into muscle memory of, you know, to where you can locate that mag release, whether it's pitch black, in the dark, this, that, you're confused. Maybe you just got, you got an eye injury, you can't see what you're doing. Like, get familiar with that, you know make these things become muscle memory. And and he's right. Um, and you will develop these things the more time you spend at the range, the more time you spend training. These things will become second nature. I could locate things on my firearms in the dark because I've, I've worked with them so much and I've held them so much. Um, I, I worked a lot of jobs where I carried at night. And I know, I you know, I always knew where that firearm was located at. I knew where the release was for my holster at all times and you'll sit there throughout the day tapping that release on your on your holster right or you'll sit there and you'll just have your hand on that gun you know rubbing the uh the mag release like you you'll know where these things are they'll become second nature but none of these things happen if they're sitting on a shelf right right well, Jester, as I was doing a little research this week, and I was looking through the interweb, of course, I had to look at to you know to get a few facts and figures, and I, I found something shocking on there that I I totally disagree with, and you may disagree with me on this, but in one of the sections I swelled through, it, it, it said that the NRA recommends that guns be stored unloaded. I don't know what storage of unloaded guns mean. I don't have any stored guns. I have guns that aren't being used at the time. I don't personally, especially when it has to do with guns that I may have to retrieve at any time, day, night, no matter what time, I never recommend that a gun be stored unloaded myself personally. I always like a loaded gun to me is, is the way a gun's supposed to be. Now, you may disagree with me on that. Every gun I own is loaded. And they're all loaded for a reason, because I may have to use them. Um, 
I don't have time to look around. You know, when you unload things, just one thing gets separated from another. A gun gets separated from ammunition. Your loaded magazines get separated from this gun. And then what do you do? I don't have 10 minutes to tell an aggressor, oh, hold on a minute. I got to get my gun. So, no, so I totally disagree with the NRA. So I disagree with that as well, but I, I have certain firearms I keep around for different reasons. I, I have a, I have a bedside gun that's always, you know, ready to go at all times. Yep. I have like my daily concealed that's ready to go at all times. And then, you know, accessible in the safe, I have the AR with a mag in it. All I got to do is rack it and I'm good to go. Certain yep. things, I, certain things I do not store loaded, um, for me, the hunting rifle I break out once a year, I don't keep loaded. I don't keep the muzzle loader loaded at all the time. You know what I mean? I, I don't keep I, the shotguns loaded all the time. Um, but certain things I know I need, you know, I, I keep those ones ready to go. I can totally agree with you on that. When I read that, it just was like a blaring, flashing light to me. And I thought, oh, Lord, that's horrible to tell people that. But that's just me. <laughs> now, we all know that if we want a gun to work, accurately and appropriately we need to make sure that the ammunition that we have is stored properly and is taken care of because ammunition will will last indefinitely if taken care of properly and everyone should know that that is in a dry cool place there are different recommendations that i was reading on the internet of what was you know what was recommended stuff extreme temperatures of 150 degrees or higher is highly you know not recommended now most places don't get 150 degrees or higher so that means most most temperatures that normal people would be at won't be higher than 150 degrees even in a locked car most cars locked don't get over 125 degrees period but that's good to know that you're keeping your ammunition in a cool, dry place, accessible. You know, I've seen people store ammunition all different kinds of ways. I've even seen people take them and, you know, put them in Ziploc bags and vacuum seal ammunition. That's fine. But most people will store ammunition in a proper area. You don't want to get wet. You don't want to get it overly hot. You really don't want to get it, get it too cold. We just want to keep it a normal living. I like if you're comfortable in there in the area, then your ammunition is probably comfortable. So I, I I agree with you on that. Um, I know there is a recommendation that says ammo is supposed to be rotated out like every five years, but I think that's more for military aspect, law enforcement aspect. I've stored rounds for years and had them still fire, and I don't do anything special to store my ammunition. I just keep it locked in the safe with uh, moisture absorbers uh, like the, uh, what are they called? You know what I'm talking about, Al, like the moisture absorbers, like yeah, the packs. There's yeah, a name uh, for them. Yeah, I can't remember the name. Yeah, oxygen absorbers type, uh, oxygen absorbers, uh, silica packs, things like that. Uh, I'm trying to, I want to say they're called like Ridex, not, maybe not Ridex, something like that. Um, but that what they do is they pull all the moisture out of the air. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I damp keep I keep my ammunition uh, damp dampered. Yes, there it is. Yeah, dampered. Yeah. <laughs> dampered. So yeah, I keep the dampereds in the gun safe, and uh, I've never had an issue. I've got ammunition that's been sitting around here for twenty years. Occasionally, we break into it because we've got some weird calibers. Like my dad's got like this, like an old two forty three that we take out and shoot every once in a while. 
and I don't even see 243 ammo on the shelf half the time. Uh, but we've got old rounds that, I mean, some of these might be older than I am. I don't know how long he's been stocking this stuff for. But we take them out, right. and they shoot, and they're just fine. So uh, we had uh, one of the listeners, um, one of the followers on TikTok, one of the listeners came on the live the other day. And he brought up that he goes to the dollar, I think he said the dollar store, and he buys the uh, clear nail polish like the sealer. And he says he goes, he'll take a bullet and he'll he'll paint around the projectile and he'll paint over the primer um, to ensure it so it, it's not getting moisture in there. And when I try to buy, when I buy five, five, six rounds, because I know I'm storing those long term, I do try to buy those sealed ones. Um just because the, the moisture getting into the powder and the primers is what's going to, you know, make those go bad. Absolutely. So, so yeah, also, moisture is the enemy. That, also, along with that, that about the dollar, dollar tree, dollar store, they usually have these small, like little uh, dampness collectors. I didn't realize how good they were until I put one or two in our uh, gun vault last year. I put a couple of them in there. You know, they're just a little dollar. They're maybe a dollar and a quarter now. The little dampness catchers, you know. I put one in there, and I went back a couple of months later, and I was kind of moving some stuff around, and it had almost a half inch of moisture in there, Jester. And this is in my gun safe that is dry, in a dry, cool place. But it was in the middle of summer, humidity and all, and it had pulled that much dampness out of the air. And I thought, my God, yeah, it's a mandatory for me from now on to have one of those in there. So I always keep one of those in there now. They're just a little cheap as you get at the Dollar Tree. Oh, absolutely. And they do sell, uh, I don't know exactly what they're called, but they're like a heat stick that goes in the gun safes now. And you plug them in and they're just a little rod and they heat up just enough to dissipate the moisture in the air inside the gun safe. And a lot of people are upgrading to those now too, which... I guess might be a better long-term option. Like when I do those damp rids, I probably have to change those out about every three months. Um, in doomsday, you're not going to go to the store and buy those anymore. That's not going to be an option. You're still going to want to keep your guns go, you know, good. So maybe at that point you throw some rice in there. I, I don't know. There's got to be a way to counteract it. <laughs> you're right. You have to get that moisture up. Um, also, when it comes to ammunition itself, you know, ha having your ammunition stored, there's a lot of people say, oh, you need to store it this way or that way. Uh, storing it loosely, to me, has never been a problem. Storing it loose, storing it in containers. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfectly lined up and organized. If that's the kind of person you are, that's fine. But anyway, you store it as long as it stays cool and dry. Usually it's not a problem, and I'd have no problem with that either. But there was also a question brought up recently. Someone said about the amount of ammunition you have. And nowhere could I find, nor could the Internet seem to find, anywhere in any federal law that it says how much ammunition you can have. Now, that's been a problem in the past because they've tried to say that so-and-so had this much ammunition. When you hear a news report, there, and he had 100,000 rounds in his possession. Well, nowhere in federal law can I find how much ammunition that you can store, although they deem it excessive amounts for certain situations. But there's no real law that you're violating if you have the 100,000 rounds. Well, I'll tell you what, Al, that's where we'll drop out with today because we're coming up on our time limit here. Mm -hmm. But that's also where we'll pick back up on part two of this episode. Right, right. 
that's a good like place to, to pick back up. I would like to recommend that our followers hit us up with questions this week if you have any after listening to this episode, because we'd like to have some questions from you next week. Absolutely. And to do that, the email it's doomsday2020 at gmail.com. Find Al on TikTok and Clapper at big underscore daddy underscore prep. And find me on the TikTok and Clapper at it's doomsday podcast 2.0. Al, you got anything you want to add before we're out of here? Nope. But just stay tuned next week for number two because we're going to have way more information on that second one. I promise. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. action message. At approximately 1 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, Nora is tracking 15 ICBM nuclear missiles inbound to the following cities. Orlando, Miami, Pittsburgh, Dover, Newark, Richland, Philadelphia, New York City, Baltimore, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Boston, Seattle, Detroit. This is an extremely deadly situation. Stay tuned, the next emergency message will be a presidential address.